Hey, I want to begin today, before I explain this passage, I want to begin just by thanking you. Uh, you have been such a gracious church to Susie and me, and it's, it hardly seems possible that it's been a year. I, I was thinking when I was driving over here today that it just literally seems like a few weeks ago that it was my first week here. And so it's been a really enjoyable year. I want to thank you for your support of Grace Church during a time of change. You loved Kim very much. He did a great and long job among you. It's not easy for a church to go through the transition that you've been going through. And to invite me to come in and to preach the word each week has been not only a privilege to me, but a real joy. Uh, Joe, I want to thank you for, that, for this uh, piano playing today. Uh, it's just been among your best work. So, And I was sitting up here listening to the singing and just thinking, oh my goodness, this is one of the things I'm going to miss. Uh, so thank you for blessing us and making it such a joy to be among you this past year. So we come to the end of the letter. Not only my last sermon as your interim pastor, but the end of the study of Hebrews, the end of this amazing letter. It's kind of, to me, it's kind of humorous that the author says in verse 22, I have written to you briefly. <laughs> if this was brief, I imagine his long letters were really, really long. Um, he also says in verse 22 that he calls this letter a word of exhortation. Um, in other words, the author's purpose in this letter was to exhort. Another word for that is to encourage. He's been encouraging his readers. He's been encouraging us to stay faithful to Jesus, not to let go of our Christian faith, not to turn back to some kind of more comfortable superficial religion. And this is a timely word for this church, is it not? You know, this new chapter of life for Grace Church is going to be a bit of a challenge for you. Who knows when God will supply a pastor? The search committee is doing their job. They're looking at resumes, but only God is the one who knows how long it will be. It could be a month. It could be 12 months. A lot of churches go through a one to two year search process. I really hope and pray it's not that long. There are good men out there, and it's just a matter of God providing the connection. But this is a very timely letter, and I'm glad that we've been looking at Hebrews this past six months or so, because God, through Hebrews, has been exhorting Grace Church, just like he exhorted the readers of this letter originally. Don't lose heart. Don't turn back. Don't live in the past. But instead, go forward. We've called this series, Press On by Faith. And so I hope that you will, and I will continue to pray that Grace Church will press on by faith into the future that God has for you. But here we are at the author's famous last words. You know, famous last words are pretty important. I would imagine that they're are not a few of you that were at the bedside of a loved one to hear their last words in this life. And you'll never forget those last words, right? A person's last words are things to remember. And so it is here with the letter of Hebrews. These last words of the author of Hebrews are things that you need to remember. And it's very poignant 
that we end with a focus on the things that this author is going to bring out in this text. So let me lay it out before you and then we'll dive in. In this passage, the author is going to remind you of four basic things, very basic, but four very important things that you must continue to do as a church if you're going to be a strong church, a healthy church that makes a difference in this community. First of all, you must pray for each other. Second, you must poke each other. Third, you must depend on each other. And finally, you must give, as Charlie told the children, grace to each other. Okay, so let's dive in and talk first about the fact that in this text, you are reminded that you must pray for each other. Notice how the writer of Hebrews says that he relies on the prayers of his fellow Christians. He says in verse 18, pray for us. Pray for us. And what he really means is pray for me. It's sort of the royal we, right? Pray for me. And in verse 19, he says, I urge you the more earnestly to pray in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. This man, and we still don't know who wrote the letter of Hebrews, right? A lot of people think it was Paul. A lot of people have various theories. We don't know who. But this man obviously believes that prayer matters. He believes in the power of prayer. Otherwise, he wouldn't be asking his readers, pray for me. Pray for me. If the Hebrews would just pray for him, he says, he can be restored to them sooner than otherwise would be the case. Now just let let that sink in a little bit. He says, pray for me, because if you don't pray for me, it might be a longer time that I will be able to see you again. Prayer matters to this guy. John Piper, some of you have heard that name. He once famously said, prayers cause things to happen that would not happen if you didn't pray. Now, we're Presbyterians. We believe in the sovereignty of God. God's going to do all of his holy will. But we also believe in the power of prayer, don't we? And it's hard to understand how those things go together. But I think John Piper is right. Prayer causes things to happen that would not happen if you failed to pray. Notice in verse 18 also that this author says that he has a clear conscience. That means that he feels pretty good about where he is spiritually. He says, I desire to act honorably in all things. And we would commend this author for saying these things. But he also knows himself well. He understands that he is vulnerable to temptation. He's been walking with God a long time, presumably. He knows the pull of the world upon his heart is very strong. He knows that in his flesh... In his sinful nature, that is, he is prone to wander. He also knows that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This man knows, in other words, that he is just one temptation away from disaster. That's why he says, pray for me. Pray, I'm desperately in need of your prayers. Do you know that about yourself, that you're just one moment away from disaster, were God to take his hands off of you? You're one conversation away from telling a lie. 
You're one red light away from road rage. You're one pornographic image away from adultery. You're one paycheck away from greed. It doesn't take much to fall, does it? If God is not gracious to us. You need somebody to be praying for you. And so do I. So, if Grace Church is going to go forward in faith, in love, and in hope to be a blessing to this community, you've got to be a people who believe in the power of prayer and regularly pray for each other. It's one thing to believe in the power of prayer and another thing to actually pray, right? I think we would all admit, yes, I know prayer is important. Prayer is good. Prayer is powerful. The question is, are we praying for each other? Pray for your new pastor. You ought to be already praying for that person, whoever it is. Pray for this congregation. Pray for your neighbors, the people who live around this church, your neighbors where you live in your own community, and for the ministry of Grace Church because prayer causes things to happen that will not happen if you do not pray. That's the first thing we learn from this passage of Scripture. Hang on a sec. That you must pray for each other. Secondly, second thing we learn in this passage. In order to be a healthy, strong church that makes a difference in this world, you must poke each other. P-O-K-E, poke each other. What in the world do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 19. Notice he says, I urge you to pray that I may be restored to you the sooner. The word urge you might want to underline. It is the word that we keep seeing in this letter, parakaleo. You remember, we've, if you've been here through this series, this is the 19th message on Hebrews, believe it or not. If you've been here for part or all of this series, we've seen this word parakaleo a lot. It means to encourage, to come alongside, to exhort, to urge, to beseech, or to appeal In fact, look at verse 22. It says, I appeal to you, brothers. It's the same Greek word, parakaleo. I appeal to you, brothers. Bear with my word of, here it is again, parakaleo, exhortation. It's the noun form of the verb. So I appeal to you. I urge you. Bear, I'm exhorting you. All three are the same Greek word, and they all refer to poking People (laughs) poking each other, urging, nudging, pushing each other. I'll never forget when one of my seminary professors, the man whom I most looked up to, um, poked me. He was not only my professor, but he was also the choir director of the church that my wife and family and I were attending at the time. And this man, Dr. Rayburn was his name, he recruited me for the choir. He knew I liked to sing, and so he recruited me for the church choir. And I sang in the choir for a number of weeks. And then I decided that seminary was too demanding, and I didn't have time to be in the choir any further. So I dropped out. I stopped going to rehearsal. I didn't show up. And the worst mistake of it all was I didn't tell him about it. I just did it. I didn't tell him. So a few weeks went by, and I got a call from his secretary, and she said, "Uh, Mike, Dr. Rayburn would like to see you. And I thought, okay, that'll be fine. I walked in his office and sat down, and he said, Mr. Osborne, if you're going to be a pastor someday, you need to be a man 
who is dependable, a man of your word, a man who follows through on your commitments. Why did you drop out of the choir, he said, without talking to me about it? You can imagine, I just crumbled. I, you know, this man whom I most admired poked me. He exhorted me. He practiced what we're talking about here in this letter. It was a lesson I've never forgotten. It was what you might call a pleasing kind of pain to be poked in Christian love so that I could be better, so that I could grow, so that I could be a more faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Friends, Christians are people who are so secure in the love of God that they can call each other to a higher level of faith, hope, and love. Christians are people who know they've been loved so well by Jesus that we can open ourselves up to each other's poking and actually invite people to say, here's something in your life that I see that I think you need to work on. Do you have that in your life? Are you practicing poking? We've seen this in this letter already, by the way, in Hebrews chapter 10. You remember that verse we talked about? Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And we talked back then, a few weeks ago, about stirring each other up in Christian love. Well, that's what this is talking about here, too. Um, Pilgrim's Progress is my favorite book. Uh, I collect old editions of Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress? Maybe about half of you. That's great. I hope one day you will take it on yourself to read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. In the book Christian, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, there's a, the main character is just simply named Christian. And he runs into this fellow by the name of Hopeful. And they walk along the way to the celestial city together. But along the way, they get into trouble, and they've been thrown into Doubting Castle. Doubting Castle. They wandered off the path into Bypath Meadow, and they were kidnapped by giant despair and thrown into his dungeon of Doubting Castle. Well, the giant beat them mercilessly day after day and told them that they might as well just kill themselves. Just take their own lives and get over with it, right? And Christian was actually tempted to do it. He thought about it for a moment. He thought, yes, to take my own life is far better than living in Doubting Castle for the rest of my life. Well, Hopeful, his friend, said, no, don't do that. And then he gives us a little speech. Let me quote a part of it to you. He says, my brother, do you remember how valiant you've been up to now? Apollyon could not crush you, that was another name for the devil, nor could all that you heard or saw or felt in the valley of the shadow of death. What hardship, terror, and amazement you have already gone through, and are you now nothing but fear? Remember how you played the man at Vanity Fair and was neither afraid of the chain nor the cage, nor yet of bloody death. Therefore, let us bear up with patience as well as we can. Beautiful, beautiful way Hopeful has there of poking his friend and his brother, Christian. You and I get locked up in Doubting Castle often, don't we? You and I fall into Bypath Meadow. We wake up in Doubting Castle from time to time. When that happens, 
you need a man or a woman, a friend named Hopeful who can encourage you. Somebody who tells you the truth. Somebody who reminds you that you can make it, you can go on. Someone who gives you a push when you most need it and says, play the man or play the woman. Proverbs 27, 17 is a verse we often quote. As iron sharpens iron, so one man, what? Sharpens another. And that's what we're talking about, sharpening each other. This is an essential element of a strong, healthy church. And I pray and hope that it will be a part of Grace Church forever. So in other words, to be healthy, to be strong as a congregation, you must pray for each other. You must poke each other. And thirdly, you must depend on each other. This sort of goes along with what I've said already. You must depend on each other. Christians are people who can't imagine doing life alone. That's why the author says in verse 19 which we saw already, please, he says, please pray for me so that I may be restored to you sooner. I miss you, he is saying. I love you. I want to see you again. See, these people, these people to whom he wrote the letter, they loved him. He loved them. They were tied together in Christian unity and love. But for some reason, they've been apart. They've been separated. We don't know why. And the author of this letter wants to fellowship with them again. Why? Because he depends on them and they depend on him. And look at verse 23. In that verse, the author says, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. There's that word soon again. Now, Timothy was a disciple of Paul. And often they traveled together on missionary journeys. But apparently Timothy had been put in prison. Now this is the only reference that I know of in the New Testament that says that Timothy had spent time in prison. Here it is. It says that he is soon going to be released. That is from prison. And now he is free. And the author of the letter is saying, I sure miss Timothy. And I know you do too. If he gets here in the next few days... I'll wait on him so we can travel together. But if he's delayed, forget it. I'm on my way. I can't wait for him much longer. That's what the author is saying. I've got to see you people. This is how some of you felt during the pandemic about each other, right? I can't wait to see you again. And some members of Grace Church have had to stay home even through the present day. Because of COVID-19. Some are still watching us by live stream. That's why we live stream these worship services. You are longing for the day, aren't you? You're longing for the day when you can all be together again. We've finally gotten rid of the masks for the most part. But we still want to be able to see each other. To hug one another. To give each other handshakes and not think, oh, oh, should I do that? We want, because we depend on the body of Christ. Here's what I take away from this part of the letter of Hebrews. Christianity is not ultimately about Jesus and me. It's about Jesus and we. And I know that's terrible grammar. But it is true. Christianity is about Jesus and we. 
It's not a, a, a me and Jesus thing. It's an us and Jesus thing. Because Jesus died for the church. Yeah, he died for me. He died for you. died for us individually. But he loves the church. And Christianity is about that. Livestream is fantastic technology, especially for shut-ins, for the disabled, for the people who are sick, for people on vacation and things like that. But watching worship is not church. Turning on the television and watching your favorite preacher out there is not church. Sure, you might learn some stuff, but never mix that up with it being church because it's not. This right here is church. And you and I desperately need it. We depend on each other. So let me give you five things that I'm going to ask you to do, okay? And in six months, eight months, 12 months, if I should happen to pay a surprise visit to you, I hope that you'll be doing all five of these things. Number one, resist the natural tendency toward isolation. Every one of us as human beings have this natural drift, this tendency to want to be alone. It's one of the things that COVID-19 did. It got us used to being alone. It turned many of us into hermits. Social media is doing the same thing to people. Listen, I'm an introvert, okay? I'm an introvert. I love being alone. I have no problem with that. But continual isolation is not normal. And it's not healthy. Genesis 2.18 says it is not good for the man to be alone. You've got to keep moving toward people. Please keep moving toward each other in Christian love. Number two. That's number one. Second thing I hope you'll do is make maintaining a few key friendships a goal of your life. Make maintaining a few key friendships a goal of your life. I read a study recently that found that 45% of adults say that they find it hard to make new friends. 45%, almost every, one of every two people have a hard time making new friends. And as we age, it gets harder, doesn't it? I'm finding that out. It gets harder to make new friends. I also read that the average American hasn't made a new friend in five years. That's not good news. So pray and ask God for friends. When you're doing your calendar, in, include time for friends on your character. Identify a couple of people in your orbit that seem to be a good fit and go after them. See if that would be a new friendship that God would give you. That's number two. Thirdly, if you're going to depend on each other, ask people to do things with you. Ask, see, church is not just a Sunday go-to-meeting affair. Church is seven days a week. Um, friendship happens not just on Sunday morning at 1030, but outside the worship hour. Ask people to do things with you. If you're going to a movie, ask somebody else to go. If you're going shopping, call somebody out of the blue and ask if she'd like to go with you. After church on Sunday, ask somebody to accompany you to the restaurant or home for lunch. If you're going to the beach, see if somebody else can go with you. Those are just a few basic ideas. Now, that's number three. Number four, join a group. Join a group or make a group happen. I hope that in four, six, eight months, 
If I were to come back, I, I would love to see a, a Sunday school program going on again here at Grace Church. I think it's time. I think it's time to begin making steps toward that, if not actually doing that. I, I would love to see a small group or two meeting regularly outside the worship hour so that you're seeing each other and growing in fellowship and love. If that's not a possibility, join a Bible study outside of Grace Church. There are th such things out there. Join a ministry or an exercise class, a book club, a service organization, or something like that. Join a group. That's number four. And finally, don't give up. Don't give up. You will face so many obstacles trying to be a person who is making friends and connecting with other people, you will face so many obstacles of logistics and of other things that you've got to be determined to make it happen. It's hard to build relationships. It can get very discouraging. But with God's help and with your determination, you can make it happen. So what is a healthy church? A healthy church, a strong church, is one where people are praying for each other, poking each other, depending on each other. And finally, in order to be strong and make a difference in this community, you must give grace to each other. Because, guys, you're not going to do it all right. <laughs> you're not going to you're going to mess up, right? You're not perfect, as Charlie put it. You must give grace to each other. That is such a great hallmark of a healthy church. Do you know that there are churches where there is not much grace? You might have been a member of such a church, and you know what I'm talking about. If you guys will determine to be a place where God's grace is expressed, felt, and, and experienced, people, it will be a magnetic effect upon this world because people are dying for grace. Look at the very last verse of the letter. Grace be with all of you. Grace be with all. Now, that's just not an empty phrase that the author feels compelled to tack on. It's an important verse. Grace be with all of you. What is grace? It's unmerited, undeserved, and unearned kindness. Notice how the author gives grace to his friends in Rome. It's very evident in this very passage that we're looking at today that the author is someone who who habitually and routinely gave people grace. He says in verse 22, he calls them brothers. And that is implying sisters as well. Brothers and sisters. He calls them saints in verse 24. Are you aware that a saint is not just some Christian who has died and been given some amazing status? You and I as Christian people are saints. Uh, holy ones, considered holy by God, sanctified and made holy. And the author makes no distinctions either between one believer and another. He says in verse 24, Greet all your leaders and all the saints. And in verse 25, Grace be with all of you. See, grace does not play favorites. It's not exclusive or cliquish. What does it look like? What would it look like here at Grace Church to give grace to people? Well, think of the cross of Jesus. That's, what, that's the epitome of grace, isn't it? The cross of Jesus. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, 
the most amazing, gracious act was taking place. A great exchange. God gave to Jesus the wrath you and I deserved. And he gave you and me the righteousness that Jesus possessed. The perfect life and the sinner's death. God imputed that or gave those things and the benefits of those things to you and to me. You were God's enemy. Enemy. But God in his grace went after you, hunted you down, found you, and would not let you go until you became a part of his family. Jesus treated people when he was here on the earth with grace. He was called the friend of sinners. He welcomed all sorts of people into his life. He saw them not only for who they were, but for who they could become by his grace. He didn't play favorites either, did he? He had rich friends and poor. He had male friends and female friends. He hung out with the moral and the immoral, the sick and the well, the religious and the irreligious. The only people with whom Jesus did not become friends were people who thought they could make it on their own. And they were the ones who ended up nailing him to the cross. Do you need grace this morning? Do you need somebody, somebody in your life who accepts you no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what you own, what you drive, how you look? Of course you do. Jesus is that person. He accepts you. He understands you. He is and he will always be your friend. And all you have to do if he is not presently your friend, all you have to do is admit your need of him. You need not be perfect. You need not have righteousness. You need have no perfect record because Jesus came not for the perfect but for those who are flawed and broken. Ask God for grace. He will give it to you. And once you've received it, give it away. Give it away to each other. Give it away to your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. Do what the author of Hebrews is asking his friends here in Italy to do. Pray for one another. Poke each other. Depend on each other. And give each other grace. And in so doing, you will be a place where the Holy Spirit is at work, moving freely among you, bringing people your way, people whom he loves, and people whom you will impact for the good of them and the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, how grateful we are to you this morning for the grace that found us when we were lost and miserable. The grace that has been and will continue to change us into people who are just a little bit more like you. God, we've got a long, long way to go. But thank you that you never give up on us. You haven't yet and you never will. And I pray that this church will be a place where the good news of that gospel of your love and grace will continue to, to ring out into this needy world in which we live. Lord, we come to your table this morning with thankful hearts. Thankful that Jesus is here, really, really here. We do not see him. We do not actually hear him speaking to us uh, verbally. But he's here in this sacrament of communion. 
his body symbolized by the bread, his blood symbolized by this cup. And we ask, Holy Spirit of God, that you would now separate these elements from their common everyday use to the special use of being means of grace and signs and seals of the covenant that you have instituted with us so that you might uh, more and more draw us into your own image and cause us to love you more and more each day. Bless this meal, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.